Hey guys, thanks for checking out today's message. We're so glad that you joined us. We consider resources like this one to be supplemental. So if you do not have a church home and live in the greater Savannah area, we would love to invite you to one of our locations. If you're blessed by today's message and would like to invest into the life and ministry of City Church, you can do so by visiting citychurch.life and clicking give. Our hope is that you'll be blessed and encouraged as we dive into today's message. We're in week three of a series that we've entitled Build Your... Week three, I keep saying that. Week two of a series, Build Your Breakthrough. And uh, last week we talked about the cost of breakthrough. And the, the reality is that if you want to see breakthrough in your life, if you want your life to be different than it is today, if there are things that you want to see happen and you're going to the Lord and saying, God, I need this in my life. I want to see this, this, this transition, this change happen. The truth that you've got to know is that first and foremost, it comes with a cost, right? Making change in your life always has ramifications. It always has a cost. Today, I want to uh, tell you that breakthrough demands respect. Uh, and so the type of respect that I'm talking about is a self-respect, a respect that, uh, of how you see yourself. I was thinking about this word respect, and I don't know if uh, any of you have ever seen any of the Fast and the Furious movies. Uh, yeah, and the first... In the first Fast and the Furious movie, uh, that was kind of my introduction to this idea of, uh, of that type of racing. Uh, as far as I, I know, it's the only place I've ever actually seen it. I've never seen people actually racing with NOS going down the, the highway, but supposedly in the movie it happens. And uh, so they race for uh, slips, right? The pink slip on the car, and that means that whoever wins gets the other person's car. And so uh, the two main characters, Paul Walker and Vin Diesel, are playing. They uh, are going to race. And Paul Walker says, I've got the, the slip to my car. I'll race you. But if, if, so if you win, you get the slip to my car. But if I win, all I want is respect, right? And everybody's laughing at him about how like, okay, so you win and we just give you the respect. But that's what he wants. He wants to be respected by the other racers in the community. And, and I think that like, like I can connect with this idea of being respected. And, and really the more I think about it, I think we all can, can relate to this idea. We want to be be respected. We want to be accepted. We don't, we, we're okay on some level with being on the fringe and the outside as long as people from the inside are looking out going, man, look at what they're doing. But nobody is like championing being so different that, uh, that they lose their own self-worth, their own self-respect. Uh, and so I want to tell you that in order for breakthrough to happen in your, your life, you have to have some type of healthy perspective of who you are. It's really critical for you to find success in the way that you're doing life. In Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 30, it says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And verse 31 says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so uh, they're asking him about the commandments. And he says that there are two that are really important. The first one is love the Lord your God with all that you have, everything inside of you. And then the second one is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And this is really complicated because the truth is, is we think that we have this like, this like love mentality, right? It's just like, oh, I just need to love everybody. I need to, I got to show love to this person and to this person. And, 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 and the truth is, is that it's not just about how you love the people around you. You can't be loving them properly if you aren't loving yourself properly. This is what he says. He says, look, just be real and just be honest. Love them the way you love yourself. 
And so if you were to sit down right now and, and begin to write up the way that you view yourself and you were gonna be obedient to this, then the, the responsibility that you would have is to then treat people the way that you treat yourself, the way that you view yourself. So this is why it becomes complicated, why it's heavy, why it's, why it's so important is that it is a mandate in God's eyes that we have a healthy view of ourselves. And I'm not saying that this is easy, I'm not saying that it's natural for everybody. Some people just naturally fall into a way and a pattern in life where they're popular and everything's easy for them. Most people don't. Most people walk through portions, seasons of their life where they really struggle with their own identity, with the way that they look, with the way that they feel, with the way that they think other people look at them. And Jesus says that, that you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then you need to love other people the way you love yourself. So if you're really good to other people, you should be good to yourself. And we should take this as a, as a serious responsibility. And, and I would say that if you wanna see breakthrough in your life, you've got to learn how to have respect for yourself. You've got to have a healthy view of yourself. So what starts with me flows to all I see. Look at your neighbor and say that. What starts with me flows to all I see. You aren't capable of really loving your neighbors, of really doing right to the people around you if it doesn't start with you first. If you can't get it right inside, I promise you will not consistently get it right outside. There will be a breaking point where it all falls down, it all collapses. So it's really important that we take this idea of, of respect and the way we view ourselves very seriously. So three areas you can protect your own breakthrough. This is what I wanna to talk to you about today are these three areas that you can protect your own breakthrough when it comes to who you are, your own identity. The first one is this, Nikes, iPads, and Levi's won't bring breakthrough, right? Nikes, iPads, and Levi's won't bring breakthrough. They're not bad things, right? I own some Nikes and some Levi's. I don't own an iPad, sorry, I'm an Android guy, right? But they won't bring breakthrough. They, won't, they will not help you in any way. In fact, check this out. Exodus chapter three, Moses comes into this cave where the presence of God is manifested on a bush that is burning without being consumed. Then the, the voice speaks and says, do not come near me, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet for the place which you are standing is holy ground. This is what he says. He says, listen, I'm not really impressed by the types of shoes that you've got on right now, I just want you. So there's not a condemnation. He doesn't say, hey, take the sandals off and throw them in the fire. You need to be done with them, right? So this isn't a condemnation over having nice things. We all like to have nice things. This is about a perspective on where nice things belong in a hierarchy of self-worth and the worth of the people around us. When, when the kids were, when Caitlin was a lot younger, she's 12, she's still young, but when she was very little, she, she has a little puppy named uh, Luna, who's not really a puppy, but still treated like a puppy in the house, right? <coughs> and so she would, she would talk about, um, she would always ask me, she would say, Daddy, if there were a fire, you would save Luna, right? And of course, what do you say to your little, oh yeah, I would save Luna, right? And then she got a little bit older and she would ask the same question. And one day I told her, I said, I would do everything in my power to save Luna. But before I ever even tried to save Luna, I would save you. And she broke down, she's bawling her eyes out. She could not understand this. No, Luna is more important. 
And, and, and I appreciate that that, that that value system that's inside of her as a little girl, right? To, to see a life and to see value in it and to take care of it. Uh, the reality is, is while I would run back into a moderately safe fire environment for the dog, you know what I'm saying? Um, I also have the responsibility to be a dad to my kids, a husband to my wife, right? To be uh, in this community and to do life. And so like there has to be some type of value system that I place on my children, but also on myself, right? And I can't just live recklessly. When uh, Carmen and I got married and we went off to Bible college, uh, I had a friend who had a motorcycle and I had never had a motorcycle. My mom and dad didn't even let me skateboard. Um, they were, I couldn't play football. I couldn't, anything that could hurt me, they were very protective of. Mom, if you're watching, I'm still alive. And, uh, and, and, and that was just kind of the, 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 the way that I had done life. And uh, I convinced Carmen to let me buy a motorcycle. And she said that, she had one rule. She said that when we start a family, when I get pregnant, that that's it. No, no, no motorcycle, but until then you can have a motorcycle. And so I got a motorcycle and uh, we would have Bible study over at the house. Our small group would meet. And then when it was done, a bunch of the guys had motorcycles and we would go for a ride and our wives would go with us. And so uh, Carmen would reluctantly get on the motorcycle with me and we would go for a ride and we'd ride out through the country. And uh, she would always be really nervous. I just always had this picture of her with her eyes closed because of the way she would clutch onto me. Uh, uh, and one time we were coming and there was a curve in front of us and it was a little bit dark and there was a van that was coming or a truck or something. And she starts screaming, there's a car coming. It's going to hit us. You're in the wrong lane. And I'm telling her I'm not in the wrong lane. And she's like, you're in the wrong lane. So she's freaking out. I'm trying to slow down. And of course I wasn't in the wrong lane. She just, her perspective was skewed from the curve and it went by and she was super panicked. And she said, I almost jumped off the motorcycle. And I was like, what? And she said, I thought you were just going to run into the vehicle and I was going to save myself. <laughs> and I was like, what a story that would have been, <laughs> right? In the hospital with, with me taking care of her and, and it being that she was so afraid that her husband made her be on the motorcycle, right? And then she jumped off. I would have been the bad guy. There was no win in that side of that. And then, of course, she got pregnant with Isaac, and I honored my commitment to not have the motorcycle. Uh, and the reason I honored that commitment is not because I'm against motorcycles, and I know that many of you have motorcycles, and you ride your motorcycles, and that's perfectly okay. Inside of our relationship, this was an insecurity that uh, uh, really, honestly, both of us kind of share because we've had friends that we've lost from that, and we made a decision to minimize the amount of risk that we take as parents uh, and because we see our own personal value in raising them. So I, I, I believe in myself as a dad, okay? And this is the same reason, like, when we do missions trips right now, uh, going to Kenya, uh, when I go, Carmen won't go with me. We won't both leave the country at the same time while we have little kids at home. We're not saying this is for everybody. Lots of families do it, and they make those trips, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, we've made a decision that as long as there are kids that are at home, one of us should be pretty close to where they're at in case they need us because we believe in the value of being a mom and being a dad. We see our own self-worth, right? Okay, but, but, but there isn't anything that we can go and purchase and buy that so much seals the deal on this uh, I, personal identity that, it's, that it protects uh, uh, or guarantees that somehow like my kids are going to be okay. It, it requires the, the, me physically. 
And it's the same thing with God. So, so God made you. Psalm 139 talks about how fearfully and wonderfully, like you were just like, you were just created. Every cell of your being was an intentional cell put together and God knows every single thing about you, right? And, and as, as the psalmist David here is writing about this, like he's not talking about all of the things that he was able to get a hold of and possess there in life. And, and it's like, God, you love me because of the clothes that I wear. God, you're so impressed by the car that I drive. And I know that when you have to go and have dinner at somebody's house, you love being at my house because I've got the best kitchen and the best food. No, see, God isn't impressed by those things. And while those things are okay and while those things are good in our lives and they bring satisfaction, God made us as creators, right? So we're made in his image. He's a creator and we're little creators. So we make little things and we're impressed with the things that we make. And then we're even more impressed with the things our neighbors make. And we want the things that our neighbors make and we want all of these things. And, and they have a place in our lives and there's, there's restriction inside of the scripture about how we covet and desire things. But there's nothing that says like you can't own a nice pair of shoes but what scripture says is that when it comes to you and your relationship with God, take those shoes off. Like when it comes to you being in the presence of the Lord, he's just not interested in those things. What he is interested in is you for who you are, exactly how you are right now. That's, the, that's what God's interested in. And I, I will tell you that that breakthrough in your life requires an understanding that connecting with God and getting the, coming to the place where God can bring the breakthrough means that, that you've got to be in his presence. You've got to be spending time with him. And, and it doesn't matter all the things you pile up into the midst of that. None of those things are going to impress him. It's going to be you and your heart and your mind and all of the effort and energy you put into that relationship with him. So God's not impressed by our creations. He's not sitting down there going, man, I wish I had thought of that. It's a good perspective for us to have. And then God gives us this idea of where modesty meets modesty. So God is impressed by who you are, not by what you possess, but God is also a jealous God. He cares about the way that you present yourself in the world around you. So he says, take your shoes off, right? And even when it comes, like the Jewish teaching was that when they moved the Ark of the Covenant, uh, that they actually had to do that barefoot. And so they would bring the Ark of the Covenant, they would set it up on the platform to come into the temple for people to come and worship. And then the priests that were maneuvering around the Ark of the Covenant had to do so with no sandals on because this idea was that we're connected, we're directly with God. And, 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 and then God gives some instruction and he begins to talk about the way that when you're in the presence of God, when you're in the presence of, uh, of believers, that he says, look, I want you to dress a certain way. And it was this idea of being modest before the Lord in humility, like, God, it's not about all the things that I've got. It's about you and I. And then it's about modesty visually in front of the world around us. And he specifically lays out a design for the priest that covers up what it says is the unsightly portions of the flesh. And it talks about a, uh, a, a tunic that covers up midsections and the lower sections down below the knees and not revealing too much of your skin in front of the Lord because God understands that because we do relationship in front of him, in front of everybody, that there's also a way that we don't just strip it all down and go, God, you wanted me how I am, here I am. And everybody that's walking by is standing around going, what is happening, right? 
Jim and Brenda were sharing with me a story the other day uh, around Christmas that they were driving down the road and somebody was having one of those interactions walking down the street and they had nothing on. They were just them and the oxygen. And, uh, and nobody was impressed going, man that, man, that person's connecting with Jesus right now, right? And so, so there's just this balance of how God isn't impressed with the things that we create, but God also, while he wants us for who we are, he also wants us to live lives where we, are, where we live modestly, where we're able to not just modestly live in the things that we consume, but even in the way that we present ourselves. So your breakthrough can't be bought. There's no outfit that you're going to go buy that's going to help your breakthrough get here quicker. You're not going to sit here and go, man, I need this transformation in my life. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I don't like the way my life is going. And you can't just go pop in over there at Belk and pick out a new outfit and then come out and go, all right, God, now I'm ready. No, it's going to require just you, raw, who you are, being in front of the Lord. So country, rock, and hip-hop won't bring your breakthrough, right? We love music. We're a society that loves music. I love music. My son, Zoe, I don't know if there's anybody that loves music more than that boy. He, you know how like when you were a kid or if you, if you have kids, they like to do plays and they're like, hey, we've put a play together. We want you to come and watch it. And they do like a five minute little skit in front of all the family and everybody claps and way to go. Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? Somebody out there, please, are you all asleep, right? Yeah, Clay, thank you. I appreciate it. And, uh, uh, and, and Zoe, he likes to do concerts. Last night we got home, it was about 7.30 and Zoe was ready to do a concert. And we said, what's the concert going to look like and he laid out 40 minutes of music the entire songs that he was going to play and he was he was just going to play them on the radio on the google right and so he was going to play on the speaker and he was just going to sit there and air drum for us for 40 minutes right he was proud as he could be of this and of course we were having a conversation about I heard Carmen go that's going to be 40 minutes she's like let's bring this thing down to two songs right and his heart's like breaking apart you know because two songs no I've already picked them all out I've got all the songs ready and so we turned it into like a concert slash shower get ready for bed and the music went with us everywhere and so we just carried him and he did his little air drum everywhere that he went and we enjoyed the concert, right? Okay, so, so, so we love these things. And I think part of the reason that we love music is that we connect with it as a way of expressing what we feel like is inside. Now, here's what I'll tell you is that there's a lot of really positive music out there that has a really positive message, but there's a tremendous amount of music out there that has a really negative message. And the truth is this, the truth is that we gravitate to the music that has a negative message. And this is why uh, you can go and look up your top 40 hits in any of these genres and the majority of what people are listening to is music that's talking about things like, uh, you know, I was so drunk the other night, I don't remember what happened, but I want to do it again, right? Uh, or or I, don't, I got married and I don't even know my last name, right? Or, you know, I lost my dog, my truck, and a beer, you should feel sorry for me, you know? Uh, uh, or, or a song that even can move into the idea of violence and what I'll do to somebody if they talk to me this way or act this way. I'm not, again, saying that all music is this way, but, the, but humanity gravitates into the negative message. And, and then what happens is, is we begin to speak those things. And I tell people all the time, and I have, when I was, from the very first days of being in youth ministry all the way to where I'm at today, constantly having the conversation about what are you listening to? What is it that you're speaking over yourself? And people all the time go, I don't even listen to the words. I just listen to the beat, right? 
okay? I just, I wanna talk for a moment about a reality when it comes to words. Mark chapter 11, here in verse 12. So Jesus has gone into the temple. He's seen that there's a a wickedness, a corruption in the way that they are uh, uh, living and operating at the temple. It says he retires to Bethany, he rests, and the next day he goes back to the temple to take care of the situation. This is where you're gonna hear the message of him flipping tables and righteous anger, okay? So on the way back to the temple, it says on the following day when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season for figs. So the disciples are walking with him. They come to a tree and they go, hey, this tree isn't going to have fruit on it because it's not the season for it to have fruit. Now, there's a whole message inside of this about how that, that there will be times in your life where it might not be the season for fruit. It might not be the season for blessing. It might not be the season for breakthrough and according to other people, but because of the way that you live your life, you have authority to call things which are not out as though they are, right? And so he, he goes on and, and, and curses it. And in verse 20, as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. So Jesus says, because you don't have fruit, I curse you. And then they leave and they come back by and they see that this thing is all withered up. All withered up, verse 21. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Jesus says, and? What did you expect? He's like, where's your faith? And he goes on to talk about the power of your words. Listen, there is so much taught inside of the New Testament about the power of the tongue. In the book of James, it says the tongue has the ability to speak life and to speak death. It says that a tongue has the ability to, in in, in reference to a ship, to completely turn the direction of a ship. That's the analogy that we're given. There is a tremendous amount of power in the tongue. And and in James, he writes and he says that, that it is that there is no man that's perfect at this. Like we're all gonna say things that we regret. Like our tongue is a very difficult thing to control, but even so, be aware of the power and authority that comes from the words that are spoken. So if your tongue has the ability to speak life and death, I wanna tell you that other people have a tongue that has the ability to speak life and death. And you might be able to sit there and convince yourself that you're just listening to it for the beat. You don't even care about the words, but you are allowing things to be spoken over you that you're consuming and they're speaking life and death into you. Your words have power. They have a tremendous amount of power. I, I would love to, one day I'll, I'll teach more on this, that science backs up the power of the tongue. It's, there's some incredible studies out there about the power the tongue has, uh, the electricity that flows through our bodies. It's pretty amazing. Uh, look here in John chapter eight, verse 44. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. 
And so those things, the, the, the warning that is here that, that Jesus is giving is that those things that, are, that do not come from God, right? They come from that which is separated from God, which falls into the domain and the realm of the enemy. Those things come from the character of an individual who does not have the truth inside of them. And so there is a lie that gets spoken over people that does something, and because we don't call it a lie, because we don't draw a line in the sand, and we just sit there and we, we make all the excuses and all the exceptions for why we're okay for it, we allow those things to consistently be spoken, and it begins to affect the way that we believe. And this is so evident in the culture that we live in. And it's so evident in the church and in the way that the culture can lead, can steer and guide the views of people who will sit in the seats of a church. I was asking a, a, a gentleman recently when it was time to, to go and vote, right? And uh, of course, elections are a big thing. And right now in our nation, there's a huge divide. And uh, one of the things that Carmen and I talk about is, is this idea that we want to approach candidates neutrally. We don't want to be on a party line. We, wanna, uh, we want the best candidates for the job. We want the people who are going to do the best, the best job. The problem that we run into, especially when you start talking about positions that have more and more power, is that the world wants to know a lot of their moral viewpoints. And then they get to have a voice weighing in on moral viewpoints. And, and as believers, if the word of God instructs us in a way that we're to live, in a way that we are to operate our society, I think it's really difficult for me to sit there and, and, and rationalize that before God, I would be able to argue that it's okay for me to cast a vote for a candidate that has a viewpoint or stands on a moral ground that I believe is contrary to the word of God. And what's difficult is sometimes that falls on every side of a party line. And the culture around us says, well, you've got to just pick the best candidate out of the mess of that. And God is saying that these are things that are not okay. There are platforms that you just can't be okay with. And it's amazing to me, I was talking with this gentleman about how difficult that is to be able to voice in this society and not have people immediately just write you off. You take a stand when it comes to the right to life that isn't very popular, but has a biblical perspective to it. And immediately people are like, well, I, 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 you're just being a zealot. You're just, you know, that's, that's and, and even above and beyond that, the church then begins to go, well, maybe the Bible isn't really God's inspired word. Maybe these are just perspectives of men. So maybe some of it's God, some of it's not. And so we actually have churches that begin to teach this way and they go, well, it's not inspired by God. It's, it's really just man's encounters with God and they did the best they could to write it down. And so what happens is, is that we, we live on sifting, shifting ground because we don't really buy into this idea that the tongue has a tremendous amount of power and that God's word is final in our lives. And, and this is what happens it ultimately is that it begins to impact how we view ourselves. We begin to live in fear. We're afraid to share our opinions. 
We honestly begin to buy into our own faults and failures. And this can happen at a young age. When, when I was uh, 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 a kid, I, I would get into trouble. And I remember in fifth grade specifically, I got into trouble in the classroom for something I didn't do. Uh, uh, I don't know if you, any of you were ever in a classroom setting where the teacher left the classroom all the time and then would put somebody else in charge to take names for who was talking. So the teacher would leave and then they would point at somebody and say, I want you to take names. Anybody who talks while I'm gone, give me their name. And it was always, uh, honestly, one of the cool kids that uh, got picked to take names. And so they would sit there and talk the whole time. And then, of course, the teacher would hear talking. And so the teacher would walk in and say who was talking. And because the cool kid was the trusted one, they would just randomly write down a couple of names of people in the classroom they didn't like. This happened to me all the time. And I'd go home and I'd tell my mom and dad I wasn't talking. And they wouldn't believe me because the teacher said it was true because this one kid said it was true. Right? Uh, and so uh, it messed with my, uh, my, my self-worth. Uh, so in fifth grade, I had a, a calculator. This is such a ridiculous story, right? This is so ridiculous. Sam, if you're watching, I'm telling on you right now. Um, this, this kid, I had a calculator, and this kid came in and stole my calculator. And uh, I went to the teacher, and I said, hey, that's my calculator. He took my calculator. And um, he was like, no, this is my calculator. And I was like, that is not your calculator. That's my calculator, right? So now where are you standing? Words against words. So all day long, the teacher's like, you need to drop it, Jim. You've lost your calculator. This is his calculator. I knew it was my calculator. And then um, I thought to ask him where he got the calculator. And I asked him where he got the calculator. And uh, he, the Rolling Stones had been in concert the night before. His parents had taken him. And so he told the entire class how the Rolling Stones during like this break between songs started throwing calculators out. <laughs> and he got one of them. And the whole class was like, what? No way. And they all wanted to touch the calculator and hold the calculator. They believed in the calculator that Mick Jagger had touched, right? Is that the right band? I don't even know if I get those right, right? This was a Mick Jagger calculator. Come on, man. Are some of us smart enough to know that's stupid, right? You know, but you know what? My teacher said, now I understand why you wanted his calculator because the Rolling Stones gave it to him. And so what did, what did I do? I'll tell you what I did. I smarted off to the teacher. I told her she wasn't very intelligent. And do you know where that landed me? In the office with the principal and in big trouble. And so I went and I went to the office and I had this note that said I needed to talk to the principal for calling the teacher a name. And um, I remember being like so torn up because nobody believed anything I said, no matter how ridiculous it was. And I told the office I was sick. And I called my mom. I didn't give him the letter at first. And I called my mom. I just started crying. And I just, she tells the story about how I called. And I just started, I just opened up with what an idiot I am. And I just began to just tear myself down. And I'm crying on the phone and she's listening. And I'm just telling her how just what a worthless person I am. And she's like, what is going on? And then I tell her I'm in trouble. I back talk to the teacher and um, I get off the phone. I go into the principal's office. I get detention. I go out of there. And uh, I remember so vividly feeling just so worthless, you know, like, like I had no value because even in the midst of the most ridiculous story, like nobody believed me. 
Somebody else's words had more power and authority than mine did. And I remember it was raining and there was a downspout uh, and I just went and stood under it and just got soaked and just thinking to myself, I wish I could drown right now. Like, I wish I could just be done with this, like feeling that level of worthlessness. And, and uh, it seems kind of silly, but it's a, it's a real place that we get ourselves in. And sometimes it's by no impact of our own. The problem is, is that when we begin, when we don't understand the power of the tongue and we then begin to speak the lies that the enemy is speaking over us, right? We just begin to destroy ourselves. We just begin to put ourselves in this place where, where hopelessness becomes hopelessness. And we walk into places where mentally we become extremely unhealthy. I, I will tell you that through the course of that experience of being in that school with those kids, life did not get any better. But I got to the other side of that school and got to middle school to a group of people who did not know me and I got plugged into a church and I found an identity inside of a youth group and I met a girl named Carmen that ultimately became my wife and I'm intolerant to viewing myself as worthless. And she'll tell you, like, I'm not gonna be bullied. I'm not going to sit here and be a knockdown, push around, whatever that is. Like, I know who I am in Christ. And I know my purpose as a father and I know my purpose as a husband. And I believe that even in the times when I'm failing in those places, I believe in the power of the tongue so that I can declare things around me just as Jesus declared into that tree. And though there may not be fruit in my life today, there will be fruit or I'll be withered up. One's happening because I'm coming in for it and I'm not gonna tolerate it. And I'm not going to allow that which is popular within our culture to determine my own self-worth. And the world can turn on my faith and the world can turn on parents and families and, and marriage. And I know what's right and my tongue will declare truth. And I'm telling you, if you want breakthrough in your life, you have to be somebody who's willing to stand up and declare what's true, even if it's in the face of a hundred people telling you you're wrong. When you know it to be true, when God's word says that it's true, have the audacity to declare it in your life and see what can happen. The world has plenty to say about you but none of what they say matters in the end. The only thing that matters is what God has to say about you. And we're all striving for that moment when we stand before him and we have the opportunity to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Identity, self-identity, self-worth, it can be a struggle. I'm not discounting it. And you might actually be in a place, and we did a series on mental health a couple of months ago. You might be in a place where you really actually need to go and get some professional health help to climb out of that place, to find health in your own life. But I'm telling you, at the point that you, begin to that you begin to come out of that darkness and you begin to get the resources and tools in front of you, that you can begin to realize that I am exactly who God wants, that God doesn't need something between me and him. I don't have to have fancy shoes. He'll take my nasty, stinky feet exactly how they are. In fact, he demands it because he finds value in me. You position yourself for breakthrough. Your breakthrough is linked to your tongue and your self-value. You're never gonna hear somebody get up and talk about the breakthrough they're experiencing in life coupled with tearing themselves down and talking about how worthless they are. 
You see, when we're in the midst of breakthrough, we're riding high because we're connecting with God and we're asking the question, why would God do this? Why would God allow this to happen? You see, sometimes God brings us through tragedy and heartache to bring us to new places, new positions, new opportunities because he loves us and he's desperately trying to show us that he wants to bring breakthrough into our lives, that there's a better way to do life. The last way here, I called it shrinks, magazines, and moms won't bring breakthrough. So I just got finished talking about mental health care and finding somebody who's a professional. Let me tell you something. A lot of people go and try to find a shrink because they want somebody who's going to tell them that the way they are is okay. They want somebody that's going to tell them the things they're doing are okay. They want somebody that's just going to agree with them. When we're standing in the line at the grocery store and all the magazines are in front of us and, they, and, and we, scan the, we scan all the little topics that they're talking about, people pick up the magazine that's interesting to them that they believe will justify the way that they do their life. We want to read the things that we believe justify who we are and keep us where we're at. And unfortunately, too many moms just baby their kids that way. Now, I'm gonna tell you, there are moms that'll call you out. My mom's one of those. There are moms that'll call you out. My wife is one of those moms. She'll call the kids out. But we watch moms all the time who just look at their kids and engage with their kids and just try, oh, I just gotta be a support. They'll figure it out. I had a dad tell me one time about the way he was letting his daughter live. And I said, well, what happens if she gets pregnant? And his response was, well, she'll learn a really valuable lesson. And I thought to myself, like, Carmen, I talk about this all the time. Like, how broken is that? Like, you don't need to surround yourself with people who will just be yes men and women. I want you to look here in Genesis 25, verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Verse 31, Jacob said, sell me your birthright, your birthright now. So Jacob, we know, is a manipulator. Jacob, at this stage in his life, was manipulative. He wanted what his brother had. And, and, and in this moment, he says, sell me your birthright. Verse 32, Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? I just want to get a picture for you. He went out, he worked hard, he comes in and he's exhausted, he's famished, he needs food to eat. And in this moment of desperation, he says, he says, I need food so bad right now. What good is, is a destiny to me right now? My destiny is so far away. All of the hopes and dreams and promises that were to be mine, they're so far away. Right now, though, I'm exhausted. Right now, I'm hurting and I'm, and I'm hungry. What good is it? Verse 33, Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So right there in this moment of desperation, this moment of uncomfortableness, this moment of not liking what's happening, he makes this decision. Scripture goes on and gives us this picture of how Esau gave up his destiny for a bowl of soup. He gave up his destiny for a bowl of soup. Afterward, he lamented and cried, is what the scripture says, but he could not change his circumstance. He 
could not change his circumstance. Esau made a permanent decision in a temporary situation. And I'm going to tell you, some of you, you've lived long enough that you know what this means. Some of you have made permanent decisions in a temporary situation. as much as we talk about how much God loves us and how much God is for us and how much God is about restoration and rebuilding and bringing things back, there are also consequences to our decisions. And while Esau had every opportunity to walk in relationship and communion with God, he did not have the opportunity to get his birthright back. See, if something like this happened today, we would just sue and go to court and have somebody else go, yeah, that's not fair, that's unjust, you shouldn't have done that, that contract's no good. But that's not what happened here. There was nobody to intervene, and Esau made this decision. In fact, Esau went on to live a life making these types of decisions. We all do something dumb at some point. I want you to understand that. And I would say that most of us know people who are dumb. And most of us have gone home at night with a friend or a loved one and talked about somebody else who's dumb. We see them making a decision and they just don't listen. They find themselves trapped in a methodology and just where every decision is dumb. Dumb, 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 dumb. And the difference between Jacob and Esau is that we have an established community. And we should be looking for people in our lives that will say things that are uncomfortable. Can I tell you the, the audacity that it takes for somebody who really cares about you to sit you down and say you're making a mistake? Nobody wants to do that. Nobody goes into that conversation going, oh, I'm about to wreck their world. Check this out. No, you go into those conversations when you're going to tell somebody that they're being dumb and you sit them down and you go, hey, listen, I love you enough to tell you that you're about to make a dumb decision. What would it have looked like in Esau's life if somebody had spoken up, if somebody had been there to say, Esau, stop. You're making a permanent decision in a temporary situation. Esau didn't have anybody in his life. And I want to tell you that it's important to find people to listen to you, but don't find people to listen to you that just agree with you all the time. You need to find people that will say some hard things in your life. I wanted to title that slide, uh, you need to find somebody willing to call you names. You need somebody that will look you in the eyes and go, you are a real dummy right now. And maybe they love you enough, they'll use some other words in there that honor Jesus to help paint a very colorful picture of the type of person you're being right there in the moment. And can I tell you something about dumbness? It's hereditary. Sometimes you'll see somebody who's dumb and their kids are making the same decisions. Why? Because they've been raised up thinking like that. And we watch generation after generation after generation in our communities of people who just live in poor decision-making. 
turning to the bottle, turning to the substance, stealing, lying, living a life of disrespect, never following through and seeing something to the end. And they just keep doing those cycles. And then their kids step in and keep doing those cycles. And and I tell people all the time, I'll I'll do uh, counseling with men who will come in that are dads and I'll be really tough. Um, I'll tell them, I'll go, hey, listen, check this out. You can grow up, be a man and get your act together or I'll be here when your son grows up to tell him the same thing. So you can play a role in helping him become a man or I'll hang around long enough to help make that happen. Because I can tell you right now, you keep acting the way you're acting, he's gonna walk through the same situations and I'm gonna be in the same counseling session with him in a few years. And it takes men and women that are willing to say, hey, tell me when I'm messing up because I don't wanna sell my birthright. God has a destiny and a purpose for my life and I don't wanna screw that up in a, in, a, in a single moment, in a temporary situation. I worded it like this. Esau gave up his destiny for a bowl of soup and an inability to change a pattern of making broken decisions. Listen, it's so important that you discover who you are and that you don't just stand in front of a mirror and make up stuff. If you're a low life, no good pathetic, cheating person. You need to begin to declare over your life, I will no longer be this and you need to become the person that you want to declare. And then you need to begin to go to people and say, I need, I'm inviting you to hold me accountable. I'm inviting you to call me out. Don't take my excuses. Because hopefully somewhere in your decision making to accept Christ, you've made a a conscious decision to believe that not only did God make you for a purpose, but he has a destiny for your life. And here's the, here's the really beautiful part. A lot of times the breakthrough that you're looking for is nothing more than stepping into the destiny you were created for. We're sitting here and pleading and begging, God, it needs to be different. It needs to be better. And God's up there going, I always made it to be like that. And it just takes us being in a position where we begin to believe it and confess it. Your breakthrough is protected through the wisdom of others. When it comes to decision-making in your life, we should be slow to make drastic decisions. We should be ready to pray and fast and seek the counsel of the people in our lives who we believe have our best interest at heart. Carmen and I, when we were in Bible college, we were given an opportunity. So we were at school and we were given an opportunity to go and take a job that was really a dream job in ministry. And we were really struggling because it required us to move, which meant that we wouldn't be able to continue at school and I remember we went to uh, the youth pastor at the church we were at. We were serving under, under this, uh, this man, and I was telling him about what was happening. And uh, I said, I just don't know what to do. And he said, are you praying? And I said, yes, we're praying. We're asking God. We're seeking counsel. And he said something to me that has forever changed my life. And this is what he said. He said, okay, so God's not saying anything today. What was the last thing God said? And I said, God said to come to Springfield, Missouri go to school. And he said, well, 
if this is going to keep you from doing the last thing God said, then keep doing what God said till God says do something else. A lot of times we get caught up in our anxiety to step into calling or step into our destiny because there's a process in front of us that we are so impatient. We just jump from this to that to this to that and we end up missing that ultimate thing that God has for us. And Esau was so caught up in the moment being hungry that he sold his birthright and his destiny was shifted. God still had purpose and was still able to use Esau. There was still, I'm just telling you, But that birthright, that ultimate destiny became Jacob's. And let me tell you something. What would have come through the bloodline of Esau came through the bloodline of Jacob and paid the price for every one of us. A bowl of soup changed a legacy. You need to believe in your destiny. You need to believe in your calling and your purpose. And you need to be ready to declare it. Because what starts with me flows to all I see. Everything that I can touch and be a part of is impacted by what happens right here. Let's stand to our feet. Our prayer ministry team is going to come to the front right now. We're going to close in just a brief moment of worship. We want to give you an opportunity if you need prayer to be able to pray with you. We're not going to spend 20 minutes in this time of reflection. We're going to spend two minutes in this time of reflection. For you to just go before the Lord and begin to ask the quick question, God, do I declare the things that I really believe over my life? Does, is, is my tongue lining up with who I believe you've called me to be? Am I okay with how you've made me? And if you're not, and if it doesn't, it's easy. You begin, you repent quickly. God, I want to be better. Position me to be in a better place. Find a community of people that you invite to call you out, that you think believe in you and have your best interest. And then you begin to be the person you believe God's called you to be. And if you want somebody to pray with you, whether you're going through a difficult time financially, in your marriage, maybe you're just having some personal struggle with sin and you want freedom there, we'll agree with you in prayer. But breakthrough is coming, but it takes effort on our part. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the declarations you're making over us. And we today declare that we are of value and we have purpose. We have a destiny. 